excellent. Give them a, another hand. I think they did a great job. Very good. You know, we live in a complex world, right? Um, I'll tell you what, I think that drama there sort of sums up exactly what life is like. We all carry around baggage. We all carry around, uh, around stuff. One of my favourite words is junk. I don't know what your word for it is, but I like to talk about junk. We've all got junk in our lives that nobody else can see, at least not easily, yet we carry it around and we bump into each other because of this stuff that we carry around. It affects our relationships and we all know it causes us the, the world of grief. I wonder if uh, you've ever felt like that, like those people in the drama where you're carrying around something that simply far, weighs you down far more than you can handle. In this four-week series, we're praying, and we honestly are praying this, that you'll begin to travel light, that you'll begin to let go of some of the baggage that's in your life. Uh, today, we're talking about the big topic of depression. Uh, next week, worry and anxiety. Uh, third week, disappointment. What do we just do with just the, the straight out disappointments of life? And finally, in the last week, we're going to actually be interviewing a mental health uh, professional, a therapist, uh, about how to help other people that are walking through these sorts of issues. So today we're looking at depression. Probably uh, in your life, in everybody's life, there's always some moments where we've gone through some level of depression. It's actually quite normal to have moments of depression where you're going through a depressed mood. It can just be as simple as sort of a, just a short phase because of something that's happened. For instance, Melbourne Storm fans at the moment are a little bit depressed, right? Or Sydney Swan fans. Um, if you're a New South Wales Rugby League supporter, you're always depressed, right? So life can do that to you as well. Um, it can be obviously for more serious reasons. Friends move away or you fail in your exams. Sometimes uh, depression can move beyond a moment. It can move into days. It can move into weeks, months. And uh, quite a lot of people talk about years of wrestling with depression. I wonder if you've ever experienced it on that, on that scale. It's an interesting thing. Sometimes it's the sort of thing you look back on and you say, oh, that's what was going on. I know for me, uh, probably a season in my 30s where I, I look back now and say I went through at least some level of depression for quite some time. And I've spoken to some of you even after the first service going through depression and uh, who are people that have bat battled it for years. It's no small thing. What are the symptoms of depression? Well, here's some of them. A depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. Markedly diminished interest in all or almost all activities. A significant weight loss when you're not dieting or sometimes the inverse, weight gain. Sleeping too much, not sleeping enough. Isolating yourself. A diminished ability to think and concentrate and make good decisions. Recurrent thoughts of death and sometimes that can lead to suicidal thoughts. Uh, feelings of hopelessness. And I just want to almost pause at this point and say, if you went through that list right now and you're like, tick, 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 uh, I would say make sure you see somebody. At, at the very least, it, it might be at that point uh, where you need to do something about it fairly quickly and I'd say see a professional Unfortunately, there's a fair bit of stigma associated with depression, along with ignorance and misunderstanding. Some people think that depression is just a sign of weakness. Some people think that it's a result of God punishing you 
Some people think depression itself uh, is a sin in itself. Um, some people think that depression is only linked to the demonic, that it's, it's only a spiritual issue and you just need to deal with it uh, in a spiritual context. And, you know, obviously we're a church, we believe in spiritual things. I do believe there are times when it can be linked to the spiritual, but it would be a mistake to say it's always the issue. Uh, in contrast, Christian psychologist Arch Hart believes that depression can be a healing emotion. Really interesting way of looking at it. He says if we, if we cooperate with, with it, um, it's part of our body's warning system, calling attention to something that's wrong. It shows us that we need to slow down, pay attention to ourselves. And to him, depression is the cry of our soul that something is missing. The Bible has a lot to say about depression. Here's one verse that we're really going to rest in today, Proverbs 18:14. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear it? That word spirit in the Old Testament is a really interesting word. Um, it really uh, relates a lot to the word wind, uh, force of energy. Uh, it's a little bit mystical, it's a little bit hard to really grasp what it's getting at, but it's talking, when it's talking about man in this context, to the emotional energy that's in the spirit of a person. And it's making the very point that it's that emotional energy, that wind, that, that strength that's in us, that gives us a passion for life, that propels us on, that makes us want life, that makes us want to chase after things, to navigate life, to deal with it. And when we have a Christ spirit, it's talking about not having that desire for life, not having that ability to find joy in life, to love life, no passion to get out there and deal with it. And that can be serious. That is serious stuff. So what causes depression? What goes wrong? What causes this crushed spirit? Why do our emotions and our feelings get out of control? Why do we get so downcast sometimes? Why do we lose our passion for life? Why do we struggle? It's been an interesting thing to sort of study this in recent weeks. In about 50 years ago and, and even beyond, depression was simply looked at as an emotional problem. So you just had something wrong in your emotions, you just had to sort it out emotionally and that's where all the therapy and effort went. Uh, a little bit after that, it, it turned a bit more into circumstances, into stressful life circumstances. That was the focus. You just need to reduce the stress in your life. You need to change your circumstances. Many of you here will know this last season. In a sense, we're only just coming out of it. Everything was chemical. If you took the right pill, saw the right doctor, we can, we can fix this thing. It's just a chemical problem. But we're walking out of that phase because scientists and therapists are quickly realizing there is no simple view to what causes depression. A recent journal article from the Scientific American says this, depression almost certainly does not result from just one change in the brain or environmental factor. A focus on one piece of the depression puzzle, be it brain chemistry, neural networks or stress is short-sighted. Interesting. Now, just want to note, it's not saying you shouldn't focus on one thing and that one thing might not be the issue, but just to make it simply about one thing only is short-sighted. And that's what the scientists, the therapists are now saying. 
You know what the biblical answer to depression is all about? Maybe we should have gone there first. Simply this, it's complicated. Honestly, the Bible never simplifies this topic. It's complicated. Tim Keller, who's a bit of a hero of the faith of mine, he says the Bible's understanding of depression is more nuanced, more multifunctional, more multidimensional, and more complex than any other answer that is out there. So let's have a quick look at what the Bible would tell us about depression. And today I've brought my own bag here. And uh, we're just going to use this to help us come to a bit of a picture of what depression is all about. And it's always good to be a little bit visual in the way we do these things. So the Bible lists, among others, five different reasons for what depression is all about. And here's my first one. What I might do is try and do this this way. Somebody tell me who this is. Ken? What do you think of Ken's hairdo? I reckon I'd be depressed if I had a hairdo like that, to be really honest. Have you heard that? Has anybody heard that Ken and Barbie got a divorce? Have you heard this? Well, life, that's true. Honestly, I think the, whoever makes these things worked this one. Well, that's, apparently, it's true. I'm telling you. My wife's arguing with me. Apparently, it's, it's true. Anyway, look in, in his arms reversed. Hang on, Ken. I'll help you with that. There we go. Now, the reason I put Ken up here is because there is a physical aspect to the depression that we go through. We're people, we're human beings. There is a chemistry, physical aspect, and the Bible backs this up. The scripture says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. What it's saying is, quite literally, there is a connection between the physical and the emotional. It's saying, quite honestly, these two things are not separate things. You need to understand that. There's a connection between these two things, between the physical and the emotional. So, emotional unhealth leads to physical unhealth in all sorts of ways. And the inverse can be true. Science is absolutely clear on this. I was just talking with uh, somebody in our own church recently who suffers with problems with the thyroid. And sometimes that thyroid plays up and worry and anxiety or anxiety levels increase. It's a physical condition linked to what's going on medically in the body. And we need to be aware of that. So there's a link between the body and the emotions. Very clear. Bible talks about it. Uh, Next one is our emotions. The heart. What's going on inside of us makes a big difference to us. Proverbs 12.25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. It's talking about literally a sinking heart that weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. You know, you can sort of trivialise that verse. A kind word cheers him up. It just sounds sort of like light and breezy. We shouldn't trivialise that. That verse is saying something that is very profound. It's saying that our emotions, and I want to add something here, our friendship networks matter to us. And sometimes, this scripture is saying, what is it saying? It says, sometimes, what do you need? You need an outside word of love, of kindness. You need support. Sometimes you don't need medicine. Sometimes you don't need therapy. You don't need an answer. You don't need complicated reflection. 
You need love, right? Because we're emotional and relational in our nature. You need arms around you. You need a shoulder to lead on. You need intimacy. You need support because we have a relational nature. So that's one of the other aspects. Here's another one. There's a moral aspect the scripture talks about to depression. Now, I thought, how do I do that in a visual way? Best I could come up with is the scriptures, but the Ten Commandments. So I've got that open at the Ten Commandments. The fact that we have a standard that we apply to our own life, that we judge ourselves by, and, and when we don't live up to that standard, the scripture does say it can cause a crushed spirit. It can cause a depression. Proverbs 28.1 The wicked man flees though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. What is that talking about? It's actually referring back to a passage in Leviticus 26. It talks about when you don't do it the way God tells you, when you disobey God, you will flee even though no one is pursuing. What's that getting at? It's saying... Something will be wrong in your psyche, in your conscience. You will have guilt about your life and it will cause you to be affected in your emotions. It will cause you to flee when nobody pursues. Guilt just generalizes a sense that there's something wrong with you. So you stay away. You run when no one is chasing you. You're suspicious that they're suspicious. You not only feel guilty for the things you ought to feel guilty for, you feel guilty for the things you ought not feel guilty for. And I don't know about you, but you might think this is just a Christian phenomenon. It's not. Listen to the words of Adele. I was listening to one of her songs a million years ago, just this week. She says, I know I'm not the only one who regrets the things they've done. Sometimes I just feel it's only me who can't stand the reflection that they see. That's guilt. That's Adele saying, I'm, I just haven't lived up to the very standards that I've applied to my own life. So you're probably starting to get the picture here. It's not simple. So far, it's a medical, a physical aspect, a relational aspect. It could be a moral aspect. And you can see how wrong we get it if we quickly jump to simply one of these conclusions alone. Here's the final, sorry, the fourth one, an existential aspect. Turn to the person next to you and say existential. I had to practice that word just so you know that is. Yes, it's a big word for a Sunday morning, right? It's a big word for any morning. And I'm sure I'm like many people here, I had to look it up. I had to try and work out what is that getting at. Um, Here is my summary. We as human beings um, live in a world and live life in a way that sometimes doesn't make sense. Uh, And sometimes that makes us sad because we don't understand why this life that we live, the existence that we live, doesn't make sense. What does the scripture say? Proverbs 14, 13. Even in laughter, the heart is sad and the end of joy is grief. Now, what people say is, oh, I know what that scripture is talking about. It's saying... That sometimes you're really happy about something, but you really know, ah, there's a big problem happening tomorrow and you have to deal with it. Uh, Commentators say that's not what that scripture is talking about. What it's actually saying is that even when nothing is wrong, even when life is going perfect, deep, deep down, there's a sadness about humanity. We know that there's something not quite right. 
Sounds deep, right? What do I mean by all this? It means that everybody knows that all parties eventually are going to be over, that all joy really ends in grief. What am I talking about? I'm going to go a little bit serious for just a moment and sort of forgive me for that. But I have here a picture and uh, it's one of our family photos. That's all right, I'm not touching it again. This is what I mean when I talk about this. There's a happy family and they're sitting around the dining room table. And the simple reality is that one of those people is eventually going to see every other family member die. Death ends everything. Everything your heart wants out of your life will will eventually be taken from you. Your health will be taken from you if you don't die a tragic young death. Your loved ones will be taken from you. Everything will be taken from you and it will be gone. You glad you came to church today? (laughs) You know what that proverb is saying? It's saying deep, deep down, you didn't need me to tell you that. It's saying deep, deep down, you knew that. Right? You understand that. It's the absolute quandary of our human existence. Listen to Adele again. She says, I wish I could live a little more. Look up to the sky, not just the floor. I feel like my life is flashing by and all I can do is watch and cry. I miss the air, I miss my friends, I miss my mother. I miss it when life was a party to be thrown, but that was a million years ago. That's a lady struggling with human existence and the frustrations and the trouble of life. We're trying to make sense of all things and I'm telling you, unless you come to a belief system and understanding of what life is all about at the end of the day, all you find is sadness about human existence. So where are we at? There's a physical component, medical, emotional, relational, moral aspect. The scripture says existential, circumstantial life aspect to it. And here's where the problem is. A doctor... You know, you go to a doctor with, with, with your issues, a doctor doesn't have time to push into the emotional, relational deal that's going on in your life. And, you know, you go to your friends and they are the last people to talk about what's happening medically inside of you, of course. And what do Christians do sometimes? Bless our hearts. We make everything moral, right? We make everything about, listen, are you, are you reading the Bible enough? Are you praying enough? Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? What's, what's really going on deep down inside of you? And sometimes we feel worse having had that conversation. The trouble is sometimes that's also right. But this is the problem. And, and what do the relational people do, the self-esteem people do? They want to bring it all back. To, oh, this, the only answer is, is found here. And of course, the pharmaceutical companies and whatnot, they want to make it all about the chemical. Now, hear it from me. There are times, of course, when... The chemical is part of the problem or can be part of the, uh, the solution, sorry. But to simply say it's just one or the other and let's just keep this thing real simple is not what the Bible is saying. What's the last one? The Bible talks about a faith aspect and I'm going to use, best I could sort of come up with, with this one because it's a little bit different, is a trophy. It's the things that we put our 
hoping where we want our life to be, the successes and the achievements of our life. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. If you're an underlying, underlining person, underlining tree of life, I'm going to come back to that at the end, but that word longing means the desires from the depths of your personality, the hopes that you have. Now, when your heart has been set on something, it is often set on it as the ultimate hope and trust in your life, that thing you're looking for to make you happy, to make you significant. And this is what we do as human beings. We set our heart on something. For all of us, there's so many different variations of this. For some, it's relationships, job success, significance in life, how many people uh, are watching and, and, and following me. I, it's, there's so family for other people. But when something comes and gets in the way of that thing and starts to rob that thing from your life, to take it away, hope deferred makes the heart sick, the scripture says. And sometimes that can go to the extreme level. Sometimes you don't even want to live life because something got in the way of you ultimately winning in the area that you've put your ultimate trust is in. And that scripture is telling you, if something gets in the way of that, that's hope deferred. You'll be crushed in spirit. For example, you're dating somebody and uh, you you just, obviously, you feel real love towards that person. They break up with you. Or perhaps, for somebody, you've loved that person and they don't even respond to that love. Now, that's going to cause grief. There's a natural level of grief for that. But if romance or having someone is the ultimate hope for your life, if you really do believe deep down that they are your fundamental hope and they break up with you, you may not even want to live. Heartache creates a crushed spirit. And this tells us what we have our faith in, our hope in, and it causes us to suffer. Personally, it's just my opinion, I believe, that last one is probably a big one for our Western world because we're so focused on the things we want to be and the outcomes we want to achieve in our life. So there's five reasons that we see in the scriptures there. The Bible gets us, is what I'm saying. The truth is you won't find a book that tries to put all of those things together. You'll find lots of books that will focus on one of those things. Not, not all five together. The Bible gets us. The Bible says we are complicated. So where to from here? Well, it makes sense to look holistically at some of these things and just provide a few answers, and there are some answers. So we're going to do that as we move on quickly. Here's, here's some of the answers. The first one is this. Honour your body. To honour means to value, to appreciate, to look after your body. In 1 Kings 19.5-9, the prophet Elijah suffers quite uh, a serious episode of depression. It's worth, at some point, going on and and reading this passage of scripture. But it's really interesting because Elijah gets to the end of himself. He's in very serious depression and the angel of the Lord comes down. This is obviously representing God himself. Could have done anything to Elijah in that moment. And what does the angel of the Lord do? In a beautiful picture of God's grace, he provides him with a meal. He tells him to sit down and rest and ultimately tells him to go to sleep. In other words, he says, beyond anything else, Elijah, you need to look after your physical self. You know, 
we scan our computers for viruses, we mow our lawns, we fix our appliances, but how often do we take care of our physical bodies to make sure we're getting adequate rest, eating the right food, looking after ourselves? As I've studied depression over these last few weeks, one reoccurring theme continually is sort out your physical health. It might not be the full answer, but it's going to be part of the answer. Work on your health. I recently saw a session of a world-leading expert in emotional health. This guy was billed, he's paid about $100,000 to stand up at a conference to say, let me give you the answers to emotional health. Do you know what he got up there and said? I, I couldn't believe it, and I'm not really knocking it, just fascinated me how simple it was. He said three things, and listen, do these if you don't do anything else. He said, don't drink coffee after 12 p.m. in the day. He says, categorically, coffee messes with our sleep cycle, stays in our system, I think, for seven hours. So don't drink coffee after 12 o'clock. Uh, he said this, don't have screen time around bedtime, because similarly, it, it produces something that wakes us up and again messes with our ability to sleep well. And he said, you do need about seven hours of sleep a night about that and if you're robbing yourself of that uh, and he also said don't oversleep but if you're robbing yourself of that you'll be in trouble I was like what that, the, the, a key expert in emotional health and he just simply came back three things on physical health that will change your life here's the other one get a supportive relationship make sure that's happening again as you follow the story of Elijah one of his big mistakes he separated himself he goes out on his own and we know that so often isolation, being on our own, causes us to be distant from other people and yet it's one of the first things we do when we're facing a little bit of depression. We want to withdraw from people rather than come together with people. After the angel of the Lord sorts out the, what's going on in Elijah, we see something interesting. He says, hey, I want you to get an attendant, a servant. I want you to do life in a team. And that's one of the next steps that Elijah goes on and does. Build supportive networks. We need friends and relationships and emotional supports in the tough times. And it takes effort to build those things. I'd say do it in advance if you can, not as you're going through it, but in advance. But if you are going through it, reach out. Now, sometimes they're friends and family members and neighbours and work colleagues. That's fine. Sometimes a relationship can be a therapist, uh, a doctor, uh, a professional. Those people are a part of our support net networks and reach out to them. Here's the final very practical thing. Observe your thinking. Observe your thinking. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.5 that as Christians we take every thought captive. After the angel attends to Elijah's physical health, uh, he asks him a question twice in this passage and that simple question is this what are you doing here Elijah and then he asked the question again and the whole point to that question was to expose the wrong thinking in Elijah it's very interesting Elijah as he examines his thinking and all the reasons he came up with crazy conclusions that his mind had led him he decided he was unproductive that he was alone that his life was unfruitful and not worth living he lost confidence in the triumphs of God he wanted to withdraw from battle and his thought processes had done that and I'm sure we've all been here where our thoughts 
lead to negative spirals downward. And the scripture is saying, grab those thoughts early on in the process. Somebody after the first service said, they know there's a line. They've worked out themselves and they can see it coming and they say, you know, thus far and no further with those thoughts. And so we grab those thoughts and we take them captive. No wonder the Bible talks about guarding your heart, Proverbs 4.23. Renewing our mind, Romans 12.1. Definitely a part of the process. So, where are we at with all of these things? Important. Physical health, uh, absolutely important. Relationships, our mind, our thinking. But, you know what, at the end of the day, where does it lead us with the other things, that sense of guilt that's on our life. Where do we go with that? How do we make sense of our, ex- of our existence? Who is going to give us a hope when we see hopelessness? You know, as we land this today, I just want to say there's no one else but God as you're walking through these dark seasons. Proverbs 14.10 says, Each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. What is that getting at? Because I've got friends and they share my joy. They understand me. You know what it's saying? It's saying your insides, the deep things and your emotions and your hearts are so complex that nobody else is ultimately at the end of the day when you really drill down, nobody else is going to know you. Nobody in this world is going to have the understandings of exactly who you are. And you're going to do the same to other people. You're not going to understand everybody to the nth degree, 100%. You're not. You're going to do the same things that they do to you. You're going to box them. You're going to categorize them. You're going to think you've got them worked out, and you don't. This is saying you are so unique. You are so um, beautiful. You are so hidden that at the end of the day, no one is really going to understand you. And at that level, you're basically going to have to go through life alone. Even those that are closest to you won't understand you. The best of the best won't fully get you. No human being can walk everywhere where you're walking. So can I just say on this one, let each other off the hook. You know, we want so much from each other. We want so much from our husband or our wife or our boss or our pastor or our friend or our work colleague. We so want people to fully understand us. And yes, friendship, relationships are a part of the solution, but they are not the full solution. When we start to understand, nobody will fully understand us. It actually can be a relief. But who understands you? God, our Father. So I'd ask you, who is God to you? Is God just an idea? Is he just a thought? Is he just a philosophy? Or is he a friend? Is he somebody that you relate to? Is he somebody that speaks into the depths of your soul? Is he somebody that you take time out to relate to? You know, human beings are not meant to live in that level of isolation where you're alone. God is the only one who can walk you through those dark valleys that you walk through. Beautiful Psalm, Psalm 23, um, verse 3 says that he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Interestingly, he doesn't say, oh, he'll just take you out of that situation. He'll just remove everything that's going on. You know that darkness is around? Oh, he'll just take you out of that. No. He says he restores my soul. That's, that's what he does. He works on the depths of your heart. 
You know, Jesus made the boldest declaration in all of history when he said, I am the way. There's a great African sort of proverb that goes a bit like this. There's a traveller and he's working through a dense, thick African jungle and he has a guide, a native guide in front of him and, and they're working through the jungle and the guide's got a machete and he's just making a way and the traveller is wearied and tired and <clears throat> angry about life and struggling and <clears throat> pushing through and he gets sort of a, a, a fair distance and eventually he just can't stand it anymore and he says in frustration, where are we? Do you even know where you're taking me? Where's the path? And this guy just simply turns around and says to the traveller, I am the path. But Jesus says that. Jesus says, I am the way. And this is what it can be like with depression. (coughs) There are some keys here today, uh, some causes, some possible solutions, but truthfully... The answer is found in following that guide. Sometimes that guide won't tell you how long the journey will take. It won't tell you exactly where you're going. It won't tell you exactly where the next part of the path is going. It won't even explain it all. And even if he did, here's a question, would we understand it? No, Jesus gives us a simple answer. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the path. He doesn't remove the jungle, the vegetation, the danger still lurks, the darkness is still there, but he leads us to himself. This is Jesus. You know, the second half of that passage of scripture there, Psalm 23 says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. See, what is that saying? He's saying, I'm the one that takes your guilt and your junk and your problems and your failings and I give you righteousness for my name's sake only he can do that he's the one that can bring healing to our physical body that deals with our loneliness that deals with our guilt that brings us forgiveness he gives us a reason for living he gives us a hope for the future why because he leads us to life he leads us to real life You know, in that scripture that we've just read earlier, Proverbs 32, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Interesting thing, tree of life is found in three books in the Bible. It's found in Genesis, it's found in Revelation, and right sort of in the middle, Proverbs. The book that's dealing with depression a lot and and all the emotional stuff. Proverbs. Now, what is going on with this tree of life thing? What does the tree of life represent? Of course, it was in the middle of the garden in Genesis. Now, it means more than just eternal life. It actually means fulfillment, where I'll find my satisfaction. Everything that I could have hoped for in my life is represented in the tree of life that we found in Genesis. But of course, what do we do? We reject God and we're locked out of the garden. We're locked out of access to that satisfaction, to the tree of life. And friends, we have spent our whole life searching for that satisfaction, searching for that hope, searching for that thing that will finally give us what we've been looking for. And the truth is, nothing fulfills. Not the new career, the new car, the new house, the new job, the new vacation, the new wife, the new husband, 
They don't fulfill. They promise, but they don't fulfill as good as they may be. You may search, they don't satisfy. The new job, it will never quite take you to where you want to be. That vacation that's been a dream your whole life, it's good, but it never quite reaches your expectation. You only want to go on another one. The wife, as good as she is, never quite reaches everything that you need in your life. And when these things happen and the, the searching that we look for don't come, what do we do? A number of things. We blame ourselves. We condemn ourselves. Sometimes we search harder. Sometimes we blame other people. And often when we do that, we get cynical about life. And all of that equals a crushed spirit. So what's the solution here? Do you know that in the New Testament, it constantly talks about a tree? Jesus died on a tree. The New Testament writers, they don't use the word cross all the time. They're always referring to a tree. Now, why are they doing that? Again, because in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam, Obey me about the tree. Don't eat it and you will live. And they didn't. And centuries later, God says to Jesus, Obey me about the tree and they will live. And he did. But the difference is, when Jesus went to that tree, he was crushed. Yeah, he was crushed physically. But he was crushed in spirit. It's interesting in Psalm 22, which relates to what Jesus went through. Jesus talks about being melted in my spirit. That my heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. That's talking about a crushed spirit. See, in that moment, as he hung on that cross, this is what Jesus went through. He went to God the Father. And in the only moment in history where this has happened, he went to God the Father and he was crushed. His father turned his back on him. And he suffered agony in his spirit, in his heart. He took on physical torment. And he took on our guilt. And he did it for us. He did it to pay the price for us, to provide the answers that we cannot. And this is the answer ultimately to these deep issues of life. We soak on these things in our life. I found this great quote during the week. Dr. Mark Cheltenham, a Christian psychiatrist, listen to what he says. He says, I have seen more people come to restoration and healing through the gospel than I have through medications or therapy. It's an incredible statement. You know, Jesus went to the cross, the tree of death, and he turned it into the tree of life for us. And our response must be to let that touch us. And here's my view, the degree to which you let that truth touch your life, that gospel truth of what Christ has done, the love that he portrayed on that cross, had no right to be on that cross dying for us, being crushed in body and in spirit. But the more you understand that, the more you soak on that love, the more you understand what he's done for you in your own life, how he took the crushed spirit so that we didn't have to have a crushed spirit, the more you come into a revelation of the fullness of joy that God has for you. And again, that doesn't mean that's just a moment. It doesn't mean you can get it in a second, or, although I believe that is possible. It doesn't mean you don't have to attend to your physical self, that you don't have to 
work on your networks that you don't even have to sort out some of the standards that God has for your life. But it, it is saying at the end of the day, we come back to the cross. We come back to what Christ has done. We come back to the amazing truth of that gospel grace that's available for us. There's a great saying that says, the only eyes in the universe who can see you to the bottom love you to the skies. Use that on your emotion. Use that on the relational aspects of your life. Use that on your conscience. Use that on your guilt. Let that truth find its way into the depths of your heart. And put your hope in him. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we just come before you today with what is a very real topic for many people in our world and it's nothing that you don't know. God, we saw in the picture of your love for Elijah that you cared for him, you understood him and you led him to restoration and you tell us in the Psalms that you restore our soul. And so Father, we just lift up our souls to you here this morning and we ask you to restore them. Father God, you would lead us into those paths of righteousness, God. God, that you would strengthen us in our inner being, like Paul talks about. And ultimately, that you would lead us to the one who is the way, the path, and that is your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that we soak in those gospel truths that touch our life. God, let us live richly in the truth of the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, for wholeness. I do believe that wholeness is available for every man, woman, and child here, that you want to lead us to the tree of life, but there is no other tree except for you, except for your son. And so we repent, God, of these seasons in our life where we keep turning to other things and we just focus again on you. We pray that you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just as I was praying, I just felt strong in my spirit. There's an answer for some people here today as to why you haven't got the things you want in your life, whether that be a relationship or a job or... Sometimes we're like, God, why? And you've got to understand a good parent, a good father does not give us junk. He doesn't give us the thing that won't satisfy. He's always leading us to him. And so just question that in your own spirit this week as you're wrestling maybe with this message. You know, have I got my focus wrong? And does it need to be redirected to him? And I would say we don't trivialise any of this at all. So if this is real for you, talk to somebody. I, I think one of the most important steps is the networks and the friend structures that you've got. Sometimes that's a professional. And uh, we'd encourage you to go and see uh, the right people and we can help point you in the right direction in that regard all right well we're done for today hope you have uh, just a fantastic day next week we deal with uh, worry and anxiety bring a friend back and we look forward to seeing you then bless you